Welcome to Vedic Mythology, Music, and Mantras. I'm Ben Collins. This week we're going to continue our look at the Ashwin twins, the divine physicians who are the sons of the sun, and their part in the story of Madhuvidya from the Brihad Aranyaka Upanishad. This podcast is presented by Pujanet, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T, your Vedic resource on the web, where, among other things, you can now find a collection of five different versions of Rudram being chanted, and that's in the audio library. To begin with, we have an example of what is, I think, one of the great challenges when one wants to translate the Sanskrit classics into English, or even just comment on them. We need to remember that times have changed since the age of the Upanishads. Originally they were transmitted from generation to generation orally, and then eventually written down on palm leaves. I suppose that the real revolution in this knowledge occurred in the 1400s when Johannes Gutenberg invented the movable type printing press and all knowledge could then be mass disseminated. Of course that can't compare to the internet age when pretty much all knowledge is available to pretty much anyone pretty much anywhere. Not quite yet of course but we're getting close. In the old days a lot of knowledge was genuinely secret. In order to learn it you had to receive this knowledge from someone who'd received it from someone and so on. And that would make it very difficult to hear some of these old Upanishadic texts and there really was something like secret knowledge. Well what kind of knowledge is contained in the Madhuvidya? Well this is the knowledge that makes life sweet. It is Madhu, honey in Sanskrit. And in the Upanishadic age, honey was probably the sweetest substance that would be naturally available. As an aside, the word sugar comes from the Sanskrit sharkara, and refined sugar was first ex exported from India to Persia around 510 BC. Well, the word vidya is more complex. Translation of the Madhu vidya that I'm working on uses the word doctrine, and honestly I don't think that I fully agree. That almost sounds like a dogma, and it's not the intent, as you'll see. Vidya means knowledge or understanding, but on a profound level that suggests some insight into the inner transcendent aspect of life. Vidya is not so much factual knowledge as it has more the flavor of a deep consciousness-based knowledge. Vidya exposes the inner structure of the universe. But how do you put that into just two words in English? Just so you can get a taste of the greatness of Sanskrit, all that meaning is contained in just two words, and that's just the title. This text comes from the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad in the second chapter, fifth Brahmana, and I'm using the excellent translation by Swami Krishnananda from the Divine Life Society. Well, last week we were talking about the Ashwins, who are the divine physicians, twin sons of Surya, the sun. And there was an ancient Rishi by the name of Dadyan, who had some knowledge that Indra, the king of the gods, wanted. So the Rishi taught Indra what he knew, and Indra, being somewhat greedy, told the Rishi that if he taught this knowledge to anyone else, 
that he, Indra, would immediately return and cut his head off. Well, secrets are very difficult to keep, uh, and eventually the Ashwins arrive on the scene, having heard about this knowledge, and they, of course, wanted to have it. Oh no, said Dadyan Rishi, if I tell you, my head is going to get removed. Well, don't worry about that, said the Ashwins, we can take care of you. What they suggested is that they would cut off his head themselves, hide it someplace safe, and replace his head with that of a horse. Well, when Indra hears that you've told this secret knowledge to us, of course he'll come and cut off the horse's head, then we'll replace your own head, and everything will be fine. Don't worry, we're doctors. Well, the Rishi agreed, and he gave this vidya to the Ashwins just before Indra, who ultimately, through his divine powers, hears that Dajyan Rishi was teaching this knowledge. Indra appeared on the scene, immediately cut his head off, but it was too late. The Aswins had the knowledge, and since they're the divine physicians, they simply gave Dadyan Rishi his head back, and all was well. Well, almost all was well, because as we saw in last week's episode, eventually Indra tried to deny the Ashwins their drink of Amrita, and thus prevent them from becoming immortal, but to no avail because of the intervention of Chayavana Rishi. So what was this precious knowledge that Indra wanted to keep for himself? Well, we have to remember that the Vedas and the Upanishads are source materials of spiritual knowledge. They're very, very old, and by modern scholarly standards, this one is dated to about 800 BC. This section of the Upanishad is quite brief, consisting of only 19 verses, which are very elegant and profound in their simplicity. Well, what could be so great? It's the knowledge not really elucidated anywhere else before this, and certainly not as compactly as this, that all of life is interconnected. One part literally touches all other parts. And that all parts share a common source in Brahman. In other words, the core of all Upanishadic teachings, really all of Vedanta, is contained in these short 19 verses. Remember that it originally had to be passed from person to person orally and through memorization, so that makes it doubly sweet because it was so compact and concise. Now, in our daily experience, we see life as an assemblage of parts, not necessarily connected. There's you and me and the natural world of plants and animals, the stars and the universe as a whole. We certainly don't seem to be connected. And culturally, we're living in a time when more and more people are sensitive to a sense of interconnectedness. But this is a relatively new phenomenon. Certainly our parents, who grew up around the time of the Second World War or the Korean War, this would have seemed to be a very strange way to view the universe. The text starts with Yam Prithvi Sarvesham Bhutana Madhu. The earth is the honey of all beings. If you think about it, all beings are sustained directly or indirectly by the earth through food. But then the text takes a big leap and it says that beneath it all is a greater principle, the luminous consciousness that animates the universe. And furthermore, there's a profound connection between the universal expression of this consciousness and the individual.
They are in fact the same, and one could not exist separate from the other. Ayam eva sayoyam atma. That is this, this is that. There's no distinction between the two. So in a way, the Rishi starts off by saying that everything is an expression of the earth element. Well, that's something we can all relate to. We eat food that comes from the earth. But then the Rishi takes us a profound step further and says that even the earth is an expression of something more subtle, Brahman, that which fills everything. And then he ties it all together by saying that it is, in fact, all related. Next, ima apa sarvesham bhutanam madhu. Asam apam sarvani bhutani madhu. The water elephant, the water element, is the madhu, the honey of all beings, and all beings are the honey of the water element. Obviously, our bodies are mostly water, and so water is very important to us. But it is very sweet to hear that we are important to the water as an expression of the water. So both water and the individual are correlated, and they in turn are animated by a single being, the immortal Atman, the self of all, which is, of course, Brahman. And I'll bet you can guess where it goes next. I am Agni, Sarvesham, Bhutanam, Madhu. Fire is the honey of all beings. And then it goes on to say that the fire element manifests in the speech of the individual. But not by itself. It requires the animating force of the immortal cosmic Purusha. Tejo Mayo Mrutta Maya Purushaha. Next, Ayam Vayu Sarvesham Bhutanam Madhu. Asyavayo Sarvani Bhutani Madhu. Air is the honey of all beings, and all beings are the honey of air. This verse goes on to say that prana is air expressed on the inside, and vayu, wind, is the air manifested in the outer world. Ayam eva sayoyam atma. It is an expression of atma and connected through atma. Idam amritam, idam brahma, idam sarvam. Idam means all this. All this is amritam the nectar of immortality. Idam Brahma, all of this is the transcendent Brahman. Idam Sarvam, it is everything. So just imagine that you're sitting under a tree and listening to an old Rishi speak. He says that all of the earth that you're sitting on, that you walk on day by day, is intimately connected to you. The water that sustains you and the air that you breathe is connected to you. The entire sky is connected to you. The digestive fire that burns quietly within your stomach, digesting food, and it gives you consciousness and the ability to communicate with others, that too is connected to you. All of these elements are indispensable to you because they connect you to the universe. They're valuable to you. But also, less obviously, you are valuable to them. Why? Because you and they are both expressions of the same thing, the infinite transcendent Brahman that is common to all. Ayam eva sayoyam atma, idam amritam, idam brahma, idam sarvam. So you sit and listen, and maybe you feel the ground beneath you and the wind on your face, or take a sip of water or a deep breath. 
And then you notice the warmth of the sun, and the Rishi points out that the sun too is connected. Ayam Aditya Sarvesham Bhutanam Madhu. And all around you, in all directions, Ima Disha Sarvesham Bhutanam Madhu. And the moon too, Ayam Chandra Sarvesham Bhutanam Madhu. And lightning, Iyam Vidhut Sarvesham Bhutanam Madhu. And of course, thunder, Ayam Stana Yitnu Sarvesham Bhutanam Madhu. And even the space in which the universe exists, I am Akasha Sarvesham Bhutanam Madhu. What a great insight this is. Everything that exists outside is connected to that which exists inside. There is no disconnect at all. I am Dharma Sarvesham Bhutanam Madhu. The Dharma that manages the outside universe is the same Dharma that we follow in our individual lives. Idam satyam sarvesham bhutanam madhu, asya satyasva sarvani bhutani madhu. There is only one truth that is the same inside you and outside you. Satya is the universal truth. Idam manusam sarvesham bhutanam madhu, asya manus asya sarvani bhutani madhu. Humanity is one inside and out. I am Atma Sarvesham Bhutanam Madhu, Asyat Manaha Sarvani Bhutani Madhu. The self of all is the same as the self of one. Atman is Atman. Sava Ayam Atma Sarvesham Bhutanam Adipati, Sarvesham Bhutanam Raja. For all living beings, Atman is the Ashipati, the commander. Everything is controlled by the presence of Atman. Atman is the Raja, the king of Bhutanam, of all entities, all living and uh, existing things. As all the spokes are connected to the hub of the wheel, so all living entities are collect connected to the hub that is Brahman. So that's the end of the main part. Then there's just a concluding section that is actually rather interesting. Usually, in these things, there's just a note that says, This Rishi said this to whomever, and if you listen to this, you will attain liberation and these benefits and so on. But there are some rather profound notes here. It does say, quite literally, that this knowledge came from the Rishi Dadhyan, who spoke it through the horse's mouth. So where did we get this vidya? Well, right from the horse's mouth. And then in the concluding verses, it says that this Purusha, this being, is responsible for the interconnectedness of all things, have become the living and non-living, the visible and non-visible, the creatures who are two-footed and who are four-footed. He became the gross and the subtle bodies and the consciousness that dwells within. This Purusha is present in every body, the body that is individual and the body that is universal. There's nothing that it is not enveloping. Naina kim chana vritam, naina kim chanan samvritam. Everything is covered up by that idam sarvam, all of this. Rupam rupam pati rupam bahuva, tad asya rupam prati chakshayana. 
In every form, he appears in a corresponding form. He, the universal Purusha, can assume any form, say, that of a horse. Then we perceive him as a horse. It is to point out that the power of the universal Purusha includes the ability to hide in different forms so that we think that we can't see him. We see only the form that he has adopted. As Krishnananda Swami wrote, these forms, these bodies, these visible individualities of things, are really intended for the recognition of his presence in all things. He has not created this world for merely nothing, as if he doesn't have any other work to do. It is intended to give an indication of his presence, an indication of the variety which he can create within himself. All these forms are visualized by us directly with our own eyes, a contradictory world where nothing is clear, everything is enigmatic, if considered in isolation. However, everything is reconcilable if it's connected in its proper context in the manner that's described in the Madhuvidya. There's no contradiction in the world. Everything is ultimately harmonious. This Purusha has neither a beginning nor an end, anaparam. It is all things, anantaram, abhayam ayam atma brahma. This is yourself seated in your heart, the experiencer of all. And Krishna Swami makes an interesting point at the end of his commentary. He says that if you could experience everything, all the sorrows and joys and all the variety of experiences that at the moment seem so irreconcilable, if you could experience it through the eyes of the great Purusha, you would not see the variety in the world, you would not see any contradictions or imbalance you would see a one single interconnectedness with the cosmic being. So that's an interesting and hopefully inspiring version of what is possible as far as human experience is concerned. Since the Vedic system is based on experience before philosophy and consciousness, this Madhuvidya has to be open to us eventually as direct experience. And while it may not be available to us at this moment, it's certainly worth working towards through our meditation and spiritual practices. And then this week, for chanting, I'm going to start with Gosha Shanti, because we spoke of Gosha in last week's podcast, and this is from Yajurveda. And as you'll recall, she was one of the seers of the Rig Veda, one of the women seers of the Rig Veda. Then I'm sure that with all of this talk about the cosmic Purusha and how he created the universe from within himself, we'll remind you of Purusha Suktam, if you're familiar with that. So we're going to listen to that. And then finally, we'll conclude with Rishi Suktam, because we're always talking about the teachings of the great Rishis. And that'll be all for now, so thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Shambhavatapavatamadarishpashandastapatasuryaha Ahali Sambhavantunasagumratrifratidhiyatam Samudhanapyachatusamadityabudetunaha Shivanasyamtamabhavasumradikasarasvati Madhevyamasandrishi 
ಪೃಥಿವೇಗಂ ಸದೇವಾಂತ ಪುರುಷಸೂಕ್ತ ಸಹಸ್ರಭಾಸಾಕ್ಷಸಹಸ್ರಭಾಸಭೋಗಿಂಶ್ವತೋಭುತ್ವಾಧಿಷ್ಠಾಹಂಗ್ಲೇನಾ